Are you an attorney that wants to help seniors have peace of mind and not go broke paying for the care that they need? But you also want to make better money than you're making right now. This is Elder Law in a Box. You'll become proficient helpers of the aging. Now your host, certified elder law attorney and past president of the National Elder Law Foundation. This is Elder Law in a Box. And this is Todd Watley. All right, welcome to Elder Law in a Box um, podcast. Yes, I am Todd Watley, and I want to continue um, in these initial episodes. I want this to be very basic for someone who is just getting into this or just thinking, what is this about? I I want to cover the basics. And so if you've been doing Elder Law for quite some time, you probably want to skip this and go to something else. But sometimes it's just good for basic understanding and just make sure that you've got this. And so when a client sits down with you, um, they have things, okay? And it's what they have worked for their their entire life, and it's, it is their life savings, basically. And so... <clears throat> They what they have is either an asset or it is income. It is one or the other. And sometimes those things look like one, but it's actually the other. Okay. And I will go through that and and talk about it in um, some simple ways we can convert one into the other. All right. So what is income? It is basically anything that comes in to a person's estate or what they own, and they've not owned it for 30 days yet. <clears throat> so you know, typically we we always think of um, social security, pension, uh, jobs, wages, things like that, and so yes, that is income. And by the way, the official um, um, federal rule on this is forty two USA USC thirteen eighty two, which is a not your typical. Almost everything's forty two USA thirteen ninety six, and you'll find a large portion of the Medicaid rules there, but for income, it is 42 USA 1382. Okay. So, um, income is things that come in. Like I said, it's what you commonly think about as being incomes when someone earns it, when things come in from social security, pension, things like that. And the federal law breaks it down into earned income and unearned income. All right. So earned income is basically anything that you trade time or skill for money, such as wages, net earning from self-employment, and even royalties from works that you have created, such as books or things like that. Not oil and gas, but royalties from things that you have done and are getting paid for that, that is earned income. Unearned income is things that are not associated with labor or work. It is support and maintenance, annuity payments, retirement or pension payments, disability, um, VA payments, prizes, awards, and inheritance. That's a big one is when someone gets a inheritance, they're like, oh, well, I have received an asset from a loved one. Well, it is not an asset until the person has owned it for 30 days. Now, typically, Medicaid will overlook that and just view it as, oh, you've 
received this asset. It's now thrown you over the $2,000 limit. So therefore you're disqualified. But technically, if you look at it based on the rules, it is deemed to be income since it has just come in and it remains income for the first 30 days. So if you don't, if you spend it within 30 days, it's in as income and it's gone and it is not an asset. But if you receive things in like a inheritance and you don't spend it within 30 days, it then becomes an asset. So um, think of it that way. And then the federal rule also, they go into some super nitpicky things that generally I don't want to go into here that generally don't matter. But if you do have questions, go to 42 USC 13A2 and it will help explain a lot of that to you. Okay. In regards to Medicaid, income is generally used to pay for the care of the applicant if they are single. Okay. It also pays for the applicant if they're married, but there are some different rules on that, and I will get into that. So generally, when you're sitting with a, a person who is not married, wanting to apply for Medicaid, the general rule is their income will go to pay for their care. There are some exemptions to that, such as the personal allowance, which your state will allow. Some states are low, like Arkansas is $40 per month. Oklahoma, right next to us, is $75 a month. And I don't know all of the state personal allowances, but they are there, and they get to get that money back so they can spend it on things that they need while on Medicaid. Also, their insurance can be paid for, their Medicare premium, their um, supplemental insurance, many times any um, dental insurance, things like that can come out of their income and go to keep paying for those. A lot of states will let you also use your income to pay a premium on a death benefit for burial. So if you do have a burial, a burial policy is not counted by the state if it is irrevocable. And I recommend personally that clients just pay for it. It is part of the spend down. If they do have money they need to spend, let's just buy the burial, be done with it. However, there will be people out there that are making payments. And typically, if the policy fits within the guidelines for the state, they can, they'll allow part of their income to go to make that payment. All right. If you're married, okay, there's interesting rule there for a married person who is putting their spouse into a nursing home. And I always explain it to say, hey, you know, when I'm talking with the community spouse, the one not in the nursing home, I say, okay, rule number one is in almost every state, you get to keep your income, regardless of what it is. You keep your income as the community spouse. However, rule number two is if your income is not up to the state minimum monthly maintenance needs allowance, okay, MMMNA, very common term that 
you need to understand, if your income is not up to your state's minimum monthly maintenance needs allowance, then you can pull some money from the spouse in the nursing home to get you up to that limit, okay? Some states, like Arkansas, they are at the minimum, so the very bottom limit, and it's about $2,300. I want this to be used for multiple years, so I won't say exactly, but just know it's very easily looked up, but it's about $2,300 this year. However, in some states, the maximum allowance is like $3,200 a month. And so typically, like in Arkansas, they start at the very bottom number, but then with exceptional expenses, such as a mortgage, very high utility bills, POA dues, things like that, that they have to pay and it causes them to not have this money to spend on other things, they will then bump them from the minimum up toward the maximum. Some states like Oklahoma just says, hey, we're not going to mess with that. You get the maximum. So a married spouse in Oklahoma, they get the maximum if they don't earn it themselves. Okay. So rule number one is you keep all of your income. Rule number two is if your income does not come up to your state's minimum, we will pull money from the institutionalized spouse and give it to you to get you up to that amount. All right. So it's, you know, the number one concern that a community spouse will have, particularly if it's the woman who has mainly stayed home her entire life, raised the kids, did the house, you know, did everything. He was out working. His social security is very high. Hers is very low. And she is concerned. Oh my goodness. My husband needs nursing home care and everybody knows his income goes to pay for his care. I cannot live off of just my income. And she is scared to death that having to get him the care he needs results in her getting very low income. And that is not the case. We get to bump her up at least to the minimum and sometimes somewhere in between, depending on your state's rules. And even at $2,300, she thinks she's going from 500 to $2,300. She's like, hey, I can do that. And so it's one of those things that you can give the client peace of mind to know you're not going to be broke. And then once we talk about the spousal asset rules and she understands she gets to keep a significant amount of the assets, you can really, truly make a difference in a client's life to say, you're not going to be broke. You're going to have this income. You're going to have these assets. And not that you want to put him in to the nursing home, but you know he needs to, and you you can do that and still keep these assets. She is very likely to do what needs to be done, which is put him in, and she gets to keep all this, okay? Very quickly, I, I want to address something known as the name on the check rule. So some states have made this very simple to say whoever's name is on the check, that's whose income it is. 
And that becomes important, particularly in your advanced planning, because we can take assets that are owned only by the institutionalized spouse. Once again, the husband has an IRA, large account or whatever that does not have the wife's name on it. You can convert that into income to the wife. And because her name is on that that check, then it will go to her and it will be allocated just for her. Okay. And that's a huge difference. And that's a big planning tool that we will talk about later. But just understand some states don't have that rule. But if you're in a state that is a, a name on the check rule, determining whose income is whose becomes very easy. Okay. All right, so that's income. Very basic, very to the point to say, how does Medicaid look at it? And then particularly with the married couple to explain to the spouse not going into the nursing home, you get to have at least this much income and you get to keep all of your income if it is high. I hope that helps. So next time we are going to talk about Miller Trust, okay? In some states, um, they are what is known as a income cap state, meaning that if your income is over the cap, you do not qualify for Medicaid unless you create a special account. So join us next time for episode number six, where we will talk about Miller Trust and how to deal with income cap states. As always, if you have questions, whatever, please give me a um, email at Todd at elderlawinabox.com. Thanks. You've been listening to Elder Law in a Box, helping you help seniors have peace of mind and not go broke paying for the care that they need. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show, but it doesn't stop here. If you want to learn more about letting Todd be your Elder Law coach, find him at www.elderlawinabox.com and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, all at Elder Law in a Box. Thanks for listening. Until next time.